Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It's close to midnight, said the Jerusalem Post, and I put in above that perhaps only minutes to midnight. Well, they were talking about the Iranian nuke threat and what matters now and what doesn't matter. Because Iran is closer to nuclear midnight and becoming able to obtain nuclear weapons than it has ever been before. So the talk has shifted from a singular weapon to weapons plural. In fact, the defense minister in Israel said the Iran had enough enriched uranium to produce 90% weaponized uranium for up to five nuclear bombs in short shift if it decided to do so. In other words... It could happen within a couple of weeks. And this came after multiple top U.S. officials said that the Islamic Republic could jump from 60% medium uh, uranium-enriched level to the 90% level in 12 days. So we have to ask, what does it mean? What matters at this point and what doesn't? What are the implications? But if Iran would seem to be the preeminent uh, issue with regard to minutes or moments to midnight, I personally think that there's a much bigger issue, or equally as big an issue, and it's not one that's talked about. But we're going to talk about it here today on Viewpoint. Here's another heading from the Jerusalem Post. Erdogan wins again in Turkey. What does it mean for the Middle East? Indeed, It was believed that perhaps Mr. Erdogan, who seemed to have been firmly in power there in Turkey for uh, several decades, uh, was going to lose his election. But then again, he squeaked by. And now that Erdogan is firmly in power, what is Israel's Turkish dilemma? Asks the Jerusalem Post. Then... Vladimir Putin congratulated Mr. Erdogan for his win in the Turkey's election, calling him my dear friend. What did that mean? Especially since back in October, Mr. Putin had uh, thrown out and tempted Erdogan in Turkey, suggesting that Putin make Turkey Europe's new. What would that mean? What would that mean for Israel? What would it mean for America? What would it mean for the world? And what does it mean in the context of biblical prophecy? That's what we want to look at here today on Viewpoint. And one of the things that's fascinating at the same time is another article from the Jerusalem Post today. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, on the spur of the moment, canceled a planned visit to Israel. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, canceled this planned trip. He was supposed to pay a quick visit to Israel as part of a Middle East trip, but then decided to cancel. One senior Israeli policy official said regarding the situation, quote, it is impossible to ignore the sensitive timing, unquote, of Blinken's cancellation. He said the Americans are trying to drop the Iranian issue from the agenda until the elections. What elections? The American presidential elections in 
for 2025 or 2024. Can all of this be delayed until then? And if so, why? What's the problem? The Americans are trying to drop the Iranian issue from the agenda. They realize that the nuclear issue cannot be stopped without military activity in Iran, said the official, and the Biden administration doesn't want to deal with it. Are you beginning to see something going on there in the Middle East that perhaps has not been revealed in the news? That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint. So I'm glad that you joined us. This conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And you say, well, how could such talk be transformative when it's just informational talk? Well, it is largely informational talk. But it's more than that, because it has biblical implications, prophetic implications, and whatever has prophetic implications has profound applications for you and for me if we will see it. Now, if we won't see it, then it will have no implication or application. But if we do see it because things are moving very, very rapidly toward the conclusion of all things as the Bible had told us, was going to take place, called the end of the age, just before the day of the Lord, then that being the case, it has unbelievable implications for you and for me, for the things that we do, the values that we hold, the decisions that we make, and our attitudes for such a time as this. For instance, Even amid the growing darkness, you and I are called to be a lighthouse. A lighthouse. We're supposed to so let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is heaven, even amid the darkness, maybe especially in the darkness. One of the things about this particular ministry is called a lighthouse ministry. And if you are only a recent listener to the program, or perhaps have been listening for a long time but have never accessed our website uh, to the extent that you could, uh, I would urge you to go to uh, the sections dealing with what Save America Ministries is about. And you're going to find there a couple of very interesting articles concerning the matter of a lighthouse. And quite frankly, lighthouses were not looked to or installed for the purpose of making people feel good. The purpose of a lighthouse, the fundamental purpose of a lighthouse, is to warn sailors of potential danger. That's what the purpose of the lighthouse is. Now, we have converted it into a nice fuzzy kind of a feeling, and people have hobbies of collecting models of lighthouses and visiting all the lighthouses in the world and country and so on. And there's nothing wrong with that. On the other hand, the purpose of a lighthouse was not to give you warm fuzzies. It was not to make a the captain of a ship feel good about his position. It was to warn him of his position that was in danger. And so if you look to our website, saveus.org, and you read that particular section, I think your eyes and your heart will be opened as to the primary purposes for which 
this broadcast exists. This is not primarily an evangelistic broadcast. Have you noticed that? No. The purpose of this particular broadcast, even though we're not against people listening and then coming to the Lord as a result of listening and being convicted by the Holy Spirit, but our primary purpose is to speak to the body of Christ, to prepare the body of Christ, the alleged body of Christ, for the times that we are in and are coming. To woo, to warn, and to prepare. And that's why we say regularly we're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Now, in doing that, it involves a lot of things. It involves a lot of information. It involves transformation. It involves discipleship. It involves lots of different things that are incorporated into the entire ministry of Save America Ministries and this program. So we'll be right back after this to take a look at where things go now with regard to Mr. Erdogan in Turkey. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismeyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Mr. Erdogan is now in power again in Turkey. It's almost like Mr. Erdogan stands in a very similar position in Turkey with regard to Vladimir Putin in Russia. And I think Mr. Putin sees uh, Mr. Erdogan in that regard. And so he called him my good friend. So what is it that unites Turkey and Russia? What is it that unites Vladimir Putin with Mr. Erdogan in Turkey. Well, one of the principal things that unites them is both of them are strong men. They're called strong men because they are very dictatorial and authoritarian in their rule. Turkey is supposed to be a democrat, a, a democracy, but it is not, not really, because Mr. Erdogan has imprisoned many of his opponents. Just as Vladimir Putin has imprisoned many of his opponents and others have disappeared. But that's not the issue we're talking about here today. The issue we're talking about is the implication for you, for me, for America, for Israel, and for the world on the near edge of the second coming. Where is this leading? That's what we want to look at in the next few minutes. So Erdogan has won the election again in Turkey. Many believing he would not because of the great earthquake and how he responded. So the question is, what does this mean for the Middle East? What does it mean for Israel? So Israel has a dilemma. You could call it the Turkish dilemma. And here it is, expressed in the Jerusalem Post today. A little over two weeks after he swept the last election in November, Benjamin Netanyahu received a phone call from Ankara. Turkish President Mr. Erdogan was on the line for the first call between the two leaders in over nine years. 
In other words, there's been no love lost between Mr. Erdogan, Mr. Netanyahu, between Turkey or Turkey, as they pronounce it now, and Israel. The incoming prime minister said that he agreed with Erdogan to work together to launch a new era in ties between Turkey and Israel. And after Erdogan's victory in the second round of elections on Sunday, that new era has now come. It's just here, instantly, before us. With Erdogan now in office for another five years, and possibly even longer, the expectation in Jerusalem is that it is only a matter of time before he invites Netanyahu for a visit to Ankara, even though they haven't talked in nine years. And that, in that, he's going to want to discuss ways, and here we get to the bottom of it, ways to get his hands on Israel's gas and to serve as the main energy conduit from the eastern Mediterranean to mainline or mainland Europe. So, what we're looking at here is Europe, as we've talked about so many times over the past 10 years here on this program, being in a unique position between Russia and Turkey, and then also Iran and other aspects of the uh, Arabian oil conglomerate. But the main players are Russia and Turkey. Turkey has no energy in of itself, not much. Russia is one of the leading energy producers of the world. That's what's keeping Russia afloat, notwithstanding all of the so-called boycotts and, and all of the things that uh, Mr. Uh, Biden tries to slam up against him. They're, they're prospering because he can prosper independent of those things. So oil and gas is a very big deal. It's bigger than most of us ever imagined. It's a big deal for Israel. In fact, it was an even bigger deal before Israel, about 10 years ago, had a massive discovery of gas off of its shore in the Mediterranean. And so it began to do take all the steps that were necessary in order to uh, put the uh, rigs together that would be able to capture that gas and pipe it And the net result of all of it, and by the way, there were several major discoveries that concluded that Israel then had enough natural gas to be able to meet its energy needs for at least 70 years and be able to export in addition to that. So... The result of that is that Israel then began to export gas to Egypt from where it had previously received gas. So Israel's in a unique position then, a much better position with regard to gas. But how about the oil issue? That's really the big deal. That's really the big deal. So Israel has not been seen to have any oil. In fact, Golda Meir, a previous uh, prime minister of Israel, uh, had just joked about uh, how all of the surrounding Arab nations had all the oil and little bitty Israel had none. 
What was God having in mind there? Well, here's the deal. I'm convinced that there is substantial oil under Israeli soil. And it's just waiting to be revealed at a precise moment in biblical history and prophecy that is going to put Israel in the most unbelievably desirous position, perhaps, on the planet. So great will be the envy, so great will be the greed that will drive other nations that already had oil and gas, whose economies are now going to be threatened by Israel's discovery that they are going to confederate or conspire together as set forth in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and 39. It's called the Gog and Magog War. We're not going to spend a lot of time right now talking about that. You can go and you can read Ezekiel 38 and 39, which I urge you to do. Now we want to focus on the great spoil, though, that these nations seek to gain. That's what Ezekiel 38 tells us. They're going to confederate together this group of nations that specifically named Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, which is generally referred to as Rus or Russia, and uh, uh, Iran, that's Persia, and Libya, all of these oil-producing nations, and then Turkey, Tagarma. I believe that's referring to Turkey. I just believe that. I cannot swear on the Bible that that is true, and neither can you. Then there's Gomer. I believe that's referring to the Germanic people. And then the Bible says many other nations with them, including Sudan. Also oil producing, also under Muslim control. So you see the collection of nations that are mentioned and many others with them. But the big players have to do with Iran, which was then called Persia until 1934. And I believe Turkey and Russia. Then Europe, uh, which I believe that Gomer is collectively referring to, collectively, is caught in the middle of it. So much caught in the middle is this fact that Germany receives 70% of its energy from Russia. 70%. Yet Germany is the number one uh, commercial manufacturing center of Europe. So, Russia has Germany over a barrel. But then you've got Erdogan and you've got Turkey. What are we going to do with that huge nation? It's positioned very strategically there at the Mediterranean and close to the Black Sea. So it's positioned in a way such as to be a great funneling device for bringing oil and or gas from Russia to Europe. Remember, Russia already closed up 
the uh, northern Nord Stream pipeline through Ukraine. That's out of the question now. Now, how about the South coming in from the South? Well, that's what we're talking about now. But it also has to do with Israel. It has to do with whether or not Israel will be brought into some collective agreement with Turkey and with Russia for supplying oil both to Israel and to Europe. What are they going to do? What are the dangers that are involved? Well, they're great. And we're going to take a look at some of those dangers, why they're dangerous, and how they link to the pressure that is rising now concerning biblical prophecy and the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, I want to break for just a moment here and go to my book, King of the Mountain. One article uh, there in in the chapter called The Great Game, talks about the world being held hostage to oil. Hostage to oil. But then, Forbes magazine, one of America's leading business magazines, 11 years ago, came to a conclusion saying, the great game is back. Now, what are they talking about? The great game. They're talking about the battle for control of oil and gas. That's what they're talking about. And they're talking about it being the great game. Well, the term great game used to refer to uh, another area of battle, but that's that euphemism or uh, metaphor is being used now to apply to the geopolitics now called the great game concerning oil and gas. In fact, Charles Hugh Smith, in his article, called the great game geopolitics and oil. Talk about the game of dominating the world's resources, nation, states, and alliances, is like a combination of chess and other games played simultaneously with the threat of military conquest or defeat always hovering over the statecraft and financial game. In order to gain both geopolitical and prophetic perspective, it should not be forgotten that the global enemies of the United States are the global enemies of Israel. The enemies of Israel are coextensively the enemies of the United States. The nation-states and alliances engaged in the great game are intensely aware of this fact and await the precise and propitious moment to make their strategic moves so as to become king of the mountain by dispossessing all other would-be kings, in others rulers. Welcome to Pipelinistan. Oil pipelines are the new great game. So, as I indicate in that book, King of the Mountain, the chapter called The Great Game, a quote, A global showdown is in the works. The world is now at the historical crossroads of the 21st century. History's in the making. That's the report of global research. The haunting specter of a major war hangs over the Middle East. Russia and Iran are the nations with the largest natural gas reserves in the world and are the number one and number three exporters in the world. 
Russia and Iran control the export of Central Asian energy to global markets and exercise control and influence through Syria and Turkey over energy corridors too and through the European continent. So the great game now has entered the Mediterranean according to the organization called Global Research. Global Research. It is developing the story of gas, oil, war, and geopolitics. Now I want to make the book available to you. Uh, and again, this is just one chapter in this uh, almost 400-page book, 350-page book. And I'm quite sure that you probably have never read anything quite like it. It's going to open your eyes to see the dynamics of what is taking place, not just the -the on-the-ground dynamics, but how they relate to biblical prophecy. It is a $20 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. We'll be right back after this. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're focusing on the implications of the re-election of uh, Mr. Erdogan there uh, heading up uh turkey uh, now he is very much in the position of vladimir putin in russia uh, having been re-elected and re-elected and re-elected uh, they are both seen as political strongmen uh not because they're so democratic but because they're not uh, they are uh intensely uh strongmen that's what they are and so we're looking at this dynamic in the context of oil and gas. You've probably heard the phrase, love makes the world go round. Well, yeah, in, in a sense it does. But energy makes the world go round. Without energy, there is no go around in the world. That's why the nations of the world are grasping for all the energy they can find. China is uh, surveilling the entire world seeking to enter into agreements with uh, uh, South American nations, Central American nations, uh, Chinese, excuse me, not Chinese, but uh, African nations and so on, to grab a hold of all the gusto they can grab in terms of energy to make the wheels of their economies grow and then also their militaries. In that context, now... We shift back to little Israel. In a precipitous position, there in the Middle East, 
the strong, excuse me, the smallest all of all of those nations there, surrounded by nations many, many, many times their size geographically and then also uh, in terms of population. So what is little Israel to do? How is Israel interconnected then with this oil and gas issue other than what we've already discussed in the first half of the program today? In my book, King of the Mountain, the chapter called The Great Game is this subheading, Oil and Israel's Existence. I want to read just a little bit uh, excerpts from this so that you can uh, get a picture of... uh, where this is going, and then we're going to go back to the current position with regard to Turkey and Russia and Israel. Quote, The head of Israel's National Economic Council made this statement in October of 2010. If oil reaches a certain price, the world will no longer want Israel to exist. Think about that. He was alluding to the forecasts of the price of oil escalating even to $200 a barrel. He said, if we don't do something, the world's largest countries will be dependent on countries unfriendly to us. That is, unfriendly to Israel. So the geopolitical reality of the growing global attitude toward Israel reveals a current level of animus toward the nascent state of Israel. That is, the young state of Israel. But for overwhelming public support for the United States Congress, Israel is nearing complete isolation in a world frantically playing the great game for hegemony of the world's energy supply. So, Israel is being isolated off. The nations around are doing everything they can to be complicit in isolating Israel off. So what is little Israel supposed to do? And if little Israel is the apple of God's eye, which he said it is, and uh, God is watching over Israel and ultimately will perform his promises as made to Abraham, confirmed of Isaac, and reaffirmed in Jacob, that through them would all the nations of the earth be blessed, then something dramatic is going to happen. While the nations are... Uh, serving like a massive boa constrictor, ever tightening their grip on Israel and their ability to do anything with energy, but for God's provision of the uh, massive gas discovery about 10 years ago off the Mediterranean coast. Israel's in, is being constricted. So, there were many headlines that came out in the uh, oh years from 2010 through 2017 uh, that indicated that hope for Israel lay in discovery of oil. Then in September of 2011 came this headline, Erdogan drives toward armed clash with Israel, oil and gas at stake. Turkish Prime Minister Erdogan coolly moved his country step by provocative step towards an armed clash with Israel 
not just over the Palestinian issue, but because he covets the gas and oil resources of the eastern Mediterranean opposite Israel's shores. Mr. Erdogan was counting on then-President Barack Obama to back him in a military clash with Israel. Now, why would he have counted on Barack Obama? Because he knew that Barack Obama had no love loss for Israel. He knew that. Why? Because Mr. Obama had traveled the world bragging about Islam. And how great Islam was. Not how great America was. So he knew that he had a fellow traveler, shall we see, speak, with Barack Obama. Then came a pipe dream. In fact, in 2004, the Associated Press reported on an extraordinary venture of an ultra-Orthodox Jew, Tovia Luskin. He formed Givot Olam Petroleum to pursue his biblically-based conviction that God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had promised vast blessing and prosperity for Israel in the latter days. Blessing by barrels and prosperity by petroleum. But he wasn't the only one. Another one was John Brown. John Brown had founded Zion Oil and Gas. Zion Oil and Gas were dedicated to drilling for oil, believing that God had indicated in his word through some very, uh, shall we say, almost cryptic uh, verses and so on, that there was oil under the ground, and that the entire state of Israel would be blessed, ultimately, through the revelation uh, of the oil that was under the ground that had not yet been tapped or tappable by uh, the world's, uh, shall we say, then technology. So, where does it stand now? In 2013, 10 years ago, the EU Times, European Union Times, shook the world with this headline, World Trembles as U.S. Becomes Greatest Energy Nation in History. That's the quote. That's the headline. According to a startling report prepared by Russia's energy minister for Vladimir Putin, He said the United States is preparing to overturn the entire global economic system as it nears becoming the greatest energy-producing nation in all of human history. But just five years before, no one had conceived of such a report. So what happened? Well, then, in 2016, came Donald Trump. Donald Trump, intended to overturn all of the efforts of Barack Obama that were trying to prevent and frustrate America uh, for drilling for oil in a variety of different places to make it very, very difficult. That was all the green movement, if you recall. Mr. Trump came along and said, no, we're going to allow all those things to go through, and he reversed the direction so that, indeed, 
the statement that Vladimir Putin had made that the United States would become the greatest energy-producing nation in all of human history actually came about under Mr. Trump and his administration. But then came Joe Biden. Joe Biden reversed everything that Mr. Trump did. He did not want America to be energy independent. He did not want us to be special in terms of uh, having the greatest energy production in the world. Didn't want that. Why? Because his goal and those that were around him were about globalism, about assimilating the United States into a new world order or global world order. And if we were the greatest producers of oil and gas, then it would make it very difficult to assimilate the United States into that world government because we would be too great for that to happen. Our people would not allow that to happen. So Mr. Uh, Biden had to reverse all of that. He became the engine of the Great Reset, proffered by the World Economic Forum and the United Nations Agenda 2030. Now we are in a place, and you can see why then we would be in a very delicate place in America and in the world, in world history, and perhaps even biblical prophecy, because from right now until the election in 2024, everything is going to continue downward for America and its energy production. That means Russia and Turkey and Iran are expanding, just as the Bible seems to indicate that they would before their attack on Israel. So what would prompt them to attack Israel? Well, that's where we need to end up here today on Viewpoint, because... Israel is now facing a big choice with regard to an agreement with Erdogan and Turkey, and thereby Russia. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. The leader, Mr. Erdogan, who has ruled Turkey since 2002, in other words, for 21 years, secured just over 52% of the vote 
in the runoff election just a week or so ago. So in more than two decades of rule, Mr. Erdogan has proved adept at neutralizing rival sources and contenders for power, and because of that, he has amassed immense power in the office of the presidency. That's the testimony of the Jerusalem Post today. Today. Uh, is, Is this current? You bet it's current. This is not just about America's debt, friends. This is about the greater panoply of history, prophecy, and God's purposes. That's what we're looking at here today. Now that Erdogan is firmly in power, what is Israel's Turkish dilemma? That's the big problem. So we already introduced the fact that a little over two weeks after he swept uh, the last election, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu received a phone call from Ankara. Mr. Erdogan was on the line for the first call between the two leaders in over nine years. What was going on in Mr. Erdogan's mind? Mr. Erdogan had no love lost whatsoever for Israel. Turkey had been an arch enemy of Russia. Turkey, under the Ottoman Empire, had once ruled Israel and Jerusalem for 400 years. So now, with Erdogan in office for another five years at least, what do you think is going on in the mind of the leaders in Jerusalem? They believe that Mr. Erdogan is going to invite Netanyahu to go to Turkey, Turkey, and to discuss ways to get his hands on Israel's gas and to serve as the main energy conduit from the eastern Mediterranean to mainland Europe. So here's where it's going. In Israel, there's already a debate within government and defense circles about what to do, whether the country can rely on Turkey, and if it is safe to put its gas in the hands of a man who not that long ago was one of the most vile and vocal anti-Semites in the world. It would be a huge mistake to send the gas through Turkey and have Erdogan's finger on the Israeli faucet, explained one former top defense official in Israel, who until not that long ago was intimately involved in Israel-Turkey relations. But at the moment, there are three options that are on the table for Netanyahu to rule between. And maybe you can be the arbiter here as you listen to the program in this segment in the following minutes, you be the arbiter as to what Mr. Netanyahu should do, what the leaders of Israel should do. Looking at it from God's eternal perspective, not just Netanyahu's perspective, what should Netanyahu do, and then what will he do? At the moment, there are three options that Mr. Netanyahu can rule between. The first is the long-touted East Med pipeline that would run for about, uh, oh, about seven, eight hundred miles and connect gas fields in Israel, Greece, and Cypriot economic waters and transport it to mainland Europe. That would be one option. They'd have to lay an 800 mile pipeline. 
No, actually about a 1,000-mile pipeline. The second, deemed to be more feasible, is the construction of a shorter underwater pipeline that would connect Israel's gas fields with Cyprus, where a, a liquefied natural gas terminal is currently in the final stages of completion. There, the Israeli gas can be liquefied, loaded onto boats, and then shipped to Europe. But then there's the Turkish proposal. This is the third one. It's attractive since a new pipeline would give Israel direct access to the southern corridor pipeline that already runs through Turkey and connects the Caucasus with Europe. That would provide Israel with a clear path to Europe without needing to run the thousand-mile worth of pipelines on the seabed. And Europe now, because it is standing to gain from whatever decision is made or hurt, Europe is pushing for an answer. They want to get this show on the road. They want to see this happening by 2026 or 2027, even while the war in Ukraine is raging. So this is where Erdogan comes into the picture. Here's the question. Can Israel trust him? What do you think? Can Israel trust him? Should Israel trust him? As the Jerusalem Post says, Israel will have to tread carefully. On the other hand, rejecting the offer could put Israeli-Turkish relations, which have only recently begun to thaw, back on ice. Might this be an opportunity for Israel to restore close relations with a regional superpower and a member of NATO? Well, can you see how geopolitics is playing in the greater picture of biblical prophecy? Choices that are being made and are having to be made? Will Israel opt for the easy way out and the seeming hope of uh, a wonderful promise from uh, Turkey and Erdogan? Or will Israel stick with the more difficult way that allows them to keep control of their oil and gas? What would you do? One way is going to be instantly more profitable, the Turkish way. The other ways, Israel maintains control. Now let's put this in the context of the greeting that uh, Mr. Vladimir Putin gave to Erdogan, who claimed victory in the Turkish presidential election a week ago Sunday. He addressed Mr. Erdogan, that is Putin, addressed Mr. Erdogan as my dear friend. Now, what does that say about the trustworthiness of Mr. Erdogan with regard to oil and gas and Israel? If Erdogan is Putin's dear friend, and Israel is trying to make Erdogan their dear friend, by implication it would seem that Israel is going to have to justify 
making Putin their dear friend. Is that possible? Does Russia really have the best interests of Israel at heart? Well, in some respects, there is on-the-ground evidence. Mr. Putin has reached out to uh, the leaders of Israel and you know, basically slapped them on the back and told them how wonderful they were and uh, how he wanted to see the temple rebuilt and so on. Sounded very encouraging. On the other hand, why does he want to rebuild the temple? Does he want to be the one that walks into the temple and declares himself God? Or is he really just trying to uh, encourage the Jewish people to accomplish what their lifelong desire is to rebuild a temple? Mr. Putin said to Erdogan, we highly appreciate your personal contribution to the strengthening of friendly Russian-Turkish relations and mutually beneficial cooperation in various areas. Well, what are those mutual beneficial cooperation areas? Well, the primary one is Russian oil and gas. So, let's go back very quickly to... October of 2022, I believe it was October of 2022, Putin tempted Turkey, suggesting to make Turkey Europe's new gas hub. Russian President Vladimir Putin doubled down on his proposal to turn Turkey into a gas hub for Europe after deliveries to Germany through the Baltic Sea's Nord Stream pipeline were halted. Now, one observer in the EU said this is just another attempt by Russia to use gas as a geostrategic tool to weaken the EU and NATO countries. But Russia was tempting Turkey to become an energy hub, a long-lasting strategic aim of the country, while trying to create new divisions among European countries. This is very tempting to Germany because a day earlier, Germany had rejected Putin's proposal to step up gas flows to Europe via a link of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline under the Baltic Sea. So Germany is up to its eyeballs in this issue one way or the other. Then, Turkish President Erdogan has signed up to Russian President Vladimir Putin's plan to turk Turkey into a Russian natural gas hub. He addressed his parliamentary deputies Wednesday and said that Turkey had secured a vital opportunity by agreeing to Putin's plan. They're currently searching, European countries are currently searching to find where to get natural gas supplies, he said. Thank God Turkey does not have such a problem. Hopefully we will soon become a hub for natural gas. Now what's the deal here? Here's the deal, friends. The power to tax is the power to destroy. And if Turkey has the power to free or unfree, to tax or untax, 
to control the valves or to open or control the valves that allow oil and gas to flow through these various pipelines, it has the ultimate power over Europe. So let's suppose now that Israel allows itself to be connected into this uh, gas hub. Then Israel also becomes subject to Turkey's power. Turkey then aligns with Russia. Remember, Putin says, you're my best friend now. You're my dear friend now. So Turkey, that once despised Russia 50 years ago, now is entering into a love affair with Russia and Vladimir Putin around oil and gas. To make both of them rich, to make both of them the premier power centers of the world. Turkey does not have the resources, that is, the natural resources. They just have the geological or geopolitical position in order to control them. So, what we're looking at now is the movement of history, the decisors of history coming together to create the very environment that Ezekiel 38 and 39 foretells. Ultimately, it appears that Israel will indeed gain dominion over vast oil, not only gas, but oil, and it will so affect Russia and Turkey and Iran, those other nations, that they will combine together to grab for all the gusto they can and take dominion and control from that little nation, Israel. And if you want to find out what will happen, just read the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39. You might also read my book, King of the Mountain, a $20 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. You can call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. And I urge you, friend, to become a partner. We are and truly believing, preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. People get ready. This is real. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 